for the FutureX Podcast. I'm Hector H. Lopez. Welcome to another edition. New technologies, demographic shifts, and the impact of the pandemic on our markets have been radically transforming the way organizations conduct business. The type of skills their talent needs to help them thrive in this new age of work has changed. According to the World Economic Forum, nearly 50% of companies already expected that by 2020, automation would lead to some kind of reduction in their full-time workforce. They further expected that more than half of their employees would require significant reskilling and upskilling. But COVID-19 has changed it all. It has exacerbated these trends and it has increased the need for large-scale, informed, and collaborative action. How will higher education react to these changes today? The president of the University of British Columbia, President Santa Uno, joins us to discuss this very issue. Let's go to our moderators, Matt Alex and Todd McLeese. President Ono, I want to first say thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to turn us to the discussion of the future of work. Um, you were president of University of Cincinnati, which I have a lot of respect for in terms of the co-op program. When you were there, it didn't look like what it does today. The technology is advancing at a much faster pace. Uh, companies are, are looking for skilled workers in a much different way. If I were to just talk through, and I'd love for, to get your perspective, what's the role of universities, maybe your, your school, maybe even other schools, in terms of serving the future of work, and maybe even serving industries, because I think there's a lot of times this faculty that may disagree with what the purpose of it is. I would love to understand your thought because of your experience at University of Cincinnati, um, your thought in terms of how future work is going to impact us globally. I would love to understand a little bit of that perspective, if you can give us that. Well, thank you very much. It's really appropriate uh, to begin the conversation as, as you have uh, framed it uh, with my time at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, you're absolutely right that um, uh, UC is uh, globally renowned for inventing cooperative education. Uh, one of its deans of education, uh, Herman Schneider, who actually uh, 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 played a very, very important role in, in sort of uh, engineering curricula uh, nationally and internationally, uh, introduced it as a concept. And the board of trustees of University of Cincinnati said, we'll allow you to do this experiment, uh, but we may actually pull the plug uh, if uh, this radical experiment of integrating work experience in between time uh, at university doesn't work. Uh, and it was a wild success. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been something uh, that has benefited the institution because it forms a bridge between what lear one learns in the classroom or the laboratory with what's needed in, in the working world. Uh, it's uh, been a win for students uh, because uh, they get to realize early on uh, what the relevance of their education is. Uh, and, and if you survey students, they say that uh, it uh, inspires them to continue. And so, you know, they may spend some period of time in the class and then go do their first co-op. They're uh, invigorated. Uh, they earn some money that helps pay for their education. It helps with their retention and graduation. Uh, and, and it also helps uh, companies because they have a direct line in uh, to uh, the brains and talent and innovation of students and faculty members at an institution. 
and gives them a, a front row seat uh, to look at the best talent uh, in the institution and to uh, hire them uh, before their competitors. So cooperative education was invented at, at UC, and uh, uh, it's something that I think is going to become increasingly important for the future of work. I think that uh, if you even look at what's happening at liberal arts colleges in the U.S., um, students and their parents are demanding uh, that kind of kind of integrated work experience uh, during their time as an undergraduate. Now, UBC um, and Waterloo are the two largest uh, universities in Canada that have adopted that UC cooperative education model. And so University of British Columbia has the largest uh, co-op program in Western Canada. And Waterloo actually now has the largest uh, co-op program in the world. It exceeds uh, even Cincinnati's in, in size and scope. So UBC is, is not that different, actually, from UC in that uh, it has uh, thousands of students every semester that are off campus, actually, um, working uh, in companies uh, and earning money and understanding the relevance of what they're studying uh, in the classroom or in the laboratory. So to answer your question about how this is going to play out over the next several years to decades, I would say it's going to become increasingly important. I'll give you a metric uh, that I think illustrates that. I'm fortunate to be uh, on the board of directors of uh, two uh, organizations of note. One is Fulbright uh, and the other is MyTax. Now, Fulbright is an uh, organization, as you know, that's really funded student mobility or study abroad, as some would call it, uh, globally. Um, and I really believe in the importance of global higher education. And I know that's a, a topic that resonates and it's part of uh, this whole conversation today. Uh, but part of that global higher education also involves experiential learning and, and co cooperative education and internships. And we call it work-integrated learning here in Canada. So Fulbright uh, recognizes um, how that's something that students uh, really want to see as part of their curriculum, and, and Fulbright is increasingly partnering uh, with um, uh, not only uh, industry, but also government and uh, backbone organizations such as MyTax to leverage uh, this, uh, what will, I think, be a cornerstone of, of the future of work. MyTax is something uh, that came out first from our sister university, Simon Fraser University here in Vancouver, and has moved the, the national headquarters in recent years to UBC. It's a massive uh, federal and provincially funded backbone organization, which essentially uh, provides for the entire nation here in Canada uh, opportunities that would be found locally in a single institution in their co-op program. And uh, uh, if you look at the metrics, um, it has uh, grown over uh, an order of magnitude in, in just the past decade. Uh, and the reason why that's happened is that both uh, local and federal governments realize that there's got to be better alignment uh, between the output from our colleges and universities and what's needed uh, for um, the local and uh, national economy to be globally competitive. So um, Canada and, and the provinces uh, within Canada have bought into the concept that cooperative education, work-integrated learning um, at various levels uh, is uh, really something that's needed uh, so that the output from our universities meets uh, work, the workforce of the future, to answer your question. It's not to say that we're not committed to disciplinary uh, strength or to fundamental 
uh, knowledge and uh, education and critical thinking. Those are all uh, certainly the foundation of, of, of the UBC education. But uh, if you look in terms of a trend, um, serving on the board of these organizations, you can see a clear trend uh, that uh, governments uh, and institutions are recognizing uh, what's going to be needed uh, for the workforce of the future. Todd, do you want to want to go really quick? Sure, Matt. Thanks. President Ono, as you think about the staying on the future of work and you think about the skills that are necessary um, and the widely accepted notion that digital skills have um, or technical skills have shorter uh, half-lives than they used to because of the nature of technology and so forth. What, do, what role do you see higher education playing in the ongoing learning that for professionals throughout their career? Well, I think that um, what you can see, um, and this is true for, for most of the universities that I have served, you can see that, that they are all um, growing the number of programs that meet that need. Uh, the, the fact that there needs to be continuous education uh, for people throughout their entire career, recognizing that most individuals will actually work uh, for a number of different companies uh, in different kinds of positions during their career, as opposed to um, decades ago when, when someone might be expected to work in the same company for their entire career. So um, there's been a proliferation and growth in the size and, and uh, investments uh, in continuing, ed- continuing education programs. And that is really something that's reflected almost in every faculty or college of, of most uh, higher educational institutions. And I think it will continue. The other thing that I think um, will likely grow in the next five to 10 years is evidenced by what's just re- most recently happened with edX. Uh, as you know, UBC was a founding member of edX, uh, the, the um, MOOC uh, online distance education program uh, that was founded by Harvard and MIT. And, and UBC uh, has been a very proud member uh, of edX. Uh, and um, there are a number of courses that you can see uh, that were created at UBC that are shared broadly. And I, I really believe in, in sharing education um, and um, the power of uh, remote and uh, MOOC courses in addressing affordability and access uh, to knowledge to people from around the world who may not otherwise be able to access that kind of education. So I believe in that fervently. I think that um, that's going to grow. Um, you probably know that edX was just sold um, and that its its business model will change um, I, 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 um, I think that's a recognition that uh, the proportion of education is, that's delivered that way uh, perhaps in in micro credentials or to your point uh, very focused educational programs and courses around uh, technologies that might be short-lived uh, the need to refresh them on a regular basis, based upon uh, demand uh, in the work in the workplace. Uh, um, I think that this is just going to grow uh, moving forward, and you can see uh, many universities really positioning themselves to tap into what were originally for-profit global networks to use that as sort of uh, a delivery modality for um, education and teaching that uh, they can. Uh, deliver uh, globally in, in a very efficient manner. So you can see that uh, Arizona State University, you can see the Northeastern University, my fellow presidents, Michael Crow, 
um, and uh, the president of Northeastern. You can see that they're thinking that way. Uh, my my colleague at Purdue is thinking that way. So I think this is all a recognition of where things are headed. You're going to find some universities embrace that, others that don't. A quick follow-up to that. Um, given your time at University of Cincinnati, you, you're probably aware of the Edelman Trust Barometer or Trust Index. Um, when we think about the acceptance that higher ed has from industry as that vehicle, as that systemic engine for continuous learning, continuous upskilling and reskilling. At the moment, it's not even an, higher ed is not even an option on the survey. Um, you know, they trust the employer, they trust government, they trust NGOs first, et cetera, and higher ed's not an option. So I'm, I'm certain there's been some movement some of which you've already indicated. I wonder what you think the key is for higher eds in terms of continuing to foster the relationship or the trust. Because as you point out, you know, we're talking about there's a wide range of of projections, but up to 17 jobs in five different industries for Gen Z uh, across a a career much longer than we're used to uh, thinking about uh, 55 to 70 years because of longevity. So when you think about building relationships between higher ed and industry, two questions. What do you think are the keys? And can that be done collaboratively as well? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I'm not surprised that higher education isn't on an option or on the radar screen in a survey uh, because uh, universities change at a glacial pace, uh, as you may know. And and, um, I want to preface everything by saying that um, the uh, focus of universities to fundamental knowledge creation in a broad education uh, shouldn't be lost. I think they're really critical uh, for the formation of good human beings and citizens that uh, uh, think about things from a a multidisciplinary perspective. So I'm going to start off by that. But there also is an aspect of education that I believe there's there's an expectation from uh, students and also from governments and from companies that uh, that universities and colleges need to change, um, and different universities are are more or less open uh, to to that demand. Um, and and I've seen seen many different uh, attempts at aligning um, business needs, uh, workplace workforce needs, um, student demands uh, in different di- jurisdictions. You know, I I've seen it nationally here. Uh, in Canada, we have something called the Business Higher Education Roundtable. There was a similar a roundtable uh, in the state of Ohio when I was president of the University of, of Cincinnati. Uh, we have uh, a similar kind of table here uh, in Vancouver and in British Columbia. And uh, I, I like to, to be very frank, work uh, with uh, government um, because I do believe as a, a public institution funded, in this case by the province of British Columbia. When I was president of the University of Cincinnati, we were funded to some degree by the state of Ohio. Um, I, I think it's important um, to be accountable. It's important uh, to listen uh, to, uh, when I was in Ohio, it was uh, Governor John Kasich. Um, I've worked closely uh, with the previous premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark, and uh, the current premier, John Horgan. Um, and, um, you know, we are funded uh, by uh, these jurisdictions, um, and we, are, we exist to, to educate the next generation. So I think it's appropriate. I think it's necessary for there to be a partnership. I also think it's uh, very, very important to uh, have conversations with uh, uh, industry. And, and that's the concept of the Business Higher Education Roundtable, where you have 
university leaders sitting at the same table uh, with CEOs of companies. And it, it is really, really helpful. I'll give you a couple of examples, concrete examples of where it works. Um, I and several of my colleagues have been thinking about global competitiveness uh, and the role of, of universities. Actually, in Canada, it's even more important than uh, in the United States, because in the United States, the proportion of research that's occurring in industry is much higher than in Canada. Uh, in Canada, it's, it's pretty exceptional that most of the research, fundamental and applied, are actually happening in universities. And so uh, for Canada to be globally competitive, um, there has to be some kind of alignment and strategy uh, to make the, the nation competitive. So uh, we've worked on a couple of national strategies. One is the quantum strategy, and we're really grateful that in working with both the local government here, the province of British Columbia, and federal government, we have gotten considerable uh, investments uh, in quantum uh, computing and quantum research. Um, and so that would not have been possible without a good partnership between uh, us as leaders of research universities uh, and government officials and companies. Um, most recently, and, and so that, that's exactly what happened, it required over a year of conversation and really being seen together, thinking through oh, what are the gaps in the ecosystem to make us uh, globally competitive at the fundamental research level, at the level of translation of that research uh, to startup companies, scaling companies and retaining them. And so that resulted in a national quantum strategy, which I think is really kind of a model of how uh, universities need to work with government and, and, and companies. Uh, the, the second example, the last one I'll give is uh, we just got about $2.2 billion uh, in, in investments uh, coming from the federal government in a new bio-innovation strategy. And and, and, and the thinking there is that, um, that we've learned from the pandemic uh, to be able to, to uh, defeat uh, a, a challenge, an existential challenge such as COVID-19. It requires partnership uh, that brings together fundamental research uh, from institutions uh, to the startup uh, biotech companies and scaling that up so that you can produce and scale uh, to protect uh, billions of lives. And uh, uh, we work together with, once again, federal government and companies to develop a, a national vision of partnership uh, that involves education, involves uh, talent coming from the institutions. It involves not only biomedical talent, but also uh, requires investments uh, so that we can develop serial entrepreneur entrepreneurs uh, that can ensure that the discoveries at the university can become uh, new, st new startup companies. Uh, and so it, it's, it's really a strategy, and uh, that's sort of a second model. So to answer your question, um, we have to do more of that. Uh, it's, it's necessary not only for nations and regions to be competitive, but it's, it's necessary for us to be able to address existential challenges such as pandemics and climate change. Cousin Ono was born in Vancouver, a graduate of University of Chicago with a, a bachelor's. He did get his PhD from McGill University. He is a president of a Canadian school, but he was also a president of a U.S. school. So he brings this amazing perspective from both the U.S. as well as, as Canada. He was the 28th president of University of Cincinnati, and today he is the 15th president of University of British Columbia. This episode was recorded live on Clubhouse. Check us out at the Future X Tribe.
It was produced by the Future X Tribe, Beyond Academics, and the Next Global Organization. Executive Director and Chief Moderator, Matt Alex. Edited by B-Next Media. I'm Hector H. Lopez. We'll see you next time as we continue our discussions with the higher ed changemakers on the Future X podcast. <laughs>